Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Everyone, uh, thank you very much for being here. I'm Assembly Minority Leader Will Barkley, and I'm pleased to join here with my Republican Assembly and Senate colleagues. You know, we do press conferences in Albany for a couple of reasons. First, sometimes we want to address issues that have captured the public's attention. And secondly, we often want to bring attention to the issue that maybe the public doesn't know about. And I think the mandate for electric school buses really fits into that latter category. I would say this, however. If this mandate goes through, the public is going to know about it. And unfortunately, like a lot of mandates we do here in Albany, this electric school bus mandate, it's unworkable, it's unreasonable, and it's unattainable. And for two reasons, that is. One is uneconomical, and secondly, we can't do it logistically. So I'm happy to join here with my colleagues. I'm going to turn over to Senator Borrello here in a second, and they're going to tell you about some legislation that we're proposing and how we're addressing uh, this terrible mandate that's being put down uh, by this state on our school districts. So with that, Senator Borrello. Thank you. Thank you, Leader Barclay. You know, I was talking to one of my colleagues before, uh, just before we started and uh, made an important point that today we're really here to be the adults in the room when it comes to the school bus discussion, the electric school bus mandate. This is the number one issue that I have heard from every, at every superintendent that I've spoken with, every school board association meeting. So many folks are, are concerned about this. And as the leader uh, pointed out, it's not workable. It can't be done. But let's talk about some of the specifics here. Just so everyone understands, there are about 800 school districts in New York State. There are 50,000 school buses right now. That means it's roughly $20 billion, with a B, to buy all the electric school buses, which run about triple of what a standard school bus would run. But on top of that, the reliability of these things is incredibly poor. They are, on a good sunny day, a 70-degree day, it's a 100-mile range. But we're seeing now that, uh, like we saw in Chicago recently with all these uh, dead Teslas, that in cold weather, the conditions that we have, particularly in upstate New York and rural areas, that 100 miles is not going to be achievable. And the governor has patted herself on the back for dedicating about $500 million, a drop in the bucket. That's not even enough to put one school bus, one EV school bus, in every school district in New York State. Where is the rest of the money coming from? 
It's going to come from our school districts. It's going to come from our property taxpayers that are already overwhelmed and overburdened by this mandate. So today, we're here to talk about reality. Unfortunately, our colleagues on the other side of the aisle like to think aspirationally. We're not in the aspiration business. We're not in the dream business. We're in the reality business. And this is not a reality for New York State schools, and it has to stop. That's why I proposed that we, again, pump the brakes on this, but most importantly, let's do something that my colleagues like to do all the time. Let's actually do a real study. Let's make sure that we actually let's have NYSERDA study this in every condition, in the cities, in the suburban areas, in our rural areas. Let's find out what happens. They don't want to do a study because they know it's going to happen. They're going to say it's not going to work. And when the government mandates something, it's going to get more expensive and not cheaper. So the cost is probably going to escalate because the first thing they're going to learn is that you can't have a one-for-one -one trade up between an electric school bus and a, and a diesel-powered school bus because you're going to need to have, have some uh, you know, standing by. On top of that, and, uh, and some of the other people that you will hear from today will talk about the additional infrastructure costs it's going to take and the fact that right now we don't really know what's going to happen when a bus that's twice as heavy as a regular school bus goes over a bridge in a rural area. We're putting our children's lives at stake. Batteries running dead in the dead of winter. Uh, what's going to happen uh, in a road and bridge that hasn't been tested? But that doesn't seem to matter to our colleagues on the other side of the aisle. They want to push forward. They want our kids to be the guinea pigs for their ridiculous boondoggle idea, and it has to stop. With that, I'm going to introduce my partner on the other side uh, of the, uh, the assembly, Assemblyman Phil Palmasano. Thank you, George. Thank you all for coming here today. I want to thank the media for being here today because it's, you're an important messenger of this critical problem that needs to be addressed. We are all here today to speak in one voice, to say let's pump the brakes. Actually, we should slam the brakes on this EV school bus mandate. In my opinion, in many opinions, this is part of the radical energy agenda that's being advanced to take away consumer choice on how you heat your home, cook your food, power your buildings, and the vehicles you drive. Make no mistake about it. This is the mother of all unfunded mandates. It's going to cost our school districts and property taxpayers billions and billions of dollars annually. So what I want to talk about is one of the bills that I'm introduced, A8447. These are some of the things that should have been done before we even move forward with this. Talking about a cost-benefit analysis, doing a feasibility study, and doing some safety analysis. Those are common sense issues that must and should be addressed. So some of the highlights of the bill are, what, number one, it would delay the requirement of all new school bus purchases or leases that must be zero emission by 2027 to J July of 2045, or until the state has converted their entire heavy-duty fleet. Why that date? Because in 2045, that's the new mandate for the public to purchase all new heavy-duty vehicles. And the state has to convert their entire diesel fleet a heavy-duty fleet by 2040, but we're asking school districts to start in 27 and convert their heavy-duty fleet by 2035, five years before the state. That makes no sense. Asking the authorizing the Commissioner of Education to work with the NISO, work with the utilities and the Department of Public Service to determine if this is even feasible, and if not, stop it. Repeal the requirement that would make all school bus fleets operate with electric vehicles by 2035. Require all the components and parts that are supplied for these EV buses to be made in the U.S. And why is that important? Because it's well known and well documented that cobalt is an element that's used to produce lithium-ion batteries. 
and in the Democratic Republic of Congo, 70 percent of the, of the cobalt comes from there and they're using child labor. It's well documented. We should not be using child labor to produce electric vehicle batteries. And how ironic that visual of our kids on an electric school bus made by kids in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Child labor should not be allowed. The other thing would be allowed to direct the, uh, the Commissioner of Education to complete a cost-benefit analysis to see how much it's going to cost our school districts and taxpayers. And the other part of the, the bill would also require NYSERDA to consult with the Office of Fire Prevention and Control to develop fire suppression and safety plans because we know when these EV fires start, they burn hot and they burn long and they burn quickly. So we need to address that issue as well. And I, I can get into the cost, but there's no, uh, enough up here to talk about. We know it's going to be billions of dollars a year. I won't get into a lot of details because we have a lot of speakers. But what I will do at this time, I'd like to introduce Tom Douglas, superintendent from the Horseheads High School, Horseheads School District, who knows firsthand what his school district and others are facing. So, Superintendent Douglas. Thank you, Assemblyman Palmasano. Ladies and gentlemen, superintendents across the state are having difficulty with this, not because we don't agree that we want to try to always help our communities, help our students' future, and the environment. However, prudence needs to be the semblance of rationality with the Public Service Commission and our governor. At this time, in our district, we have 88 buses. If I had to take an electric vehicle and a form of a bus for our students to travel to the state wrestling competition, I would have stopped at Sydney today for a recharge and may not have made it here in any semblance of time. That's what students are facing. Could you imagine that on a daily basis, going to school? Another part of those 88 buses currently of those 88 buses, 11 would not have been able to complete their runs today to get the students. And that's on a fair weather day. It goes up by about 10% of our bus fleet for every 10 degrees of reduction in temperature because of what you've seen in Chicago. The costs, we asked our community last year in an exit poll, do they understand the EV requirements? I was surprised. 55 to 60 percent said yes. But when I asked them, will you support the district purchasing, 65 percent said no, it's too cost prohibitive. That's the hard part. Buses must be approved by the district's voters for that tax base. This whole program from an electrical station that would have to be pretty much built on school site to bring in the amount of electric needed for our district, estimated between five and ten million dollars, that would have to be funded by the local. Not to mention every bus, even a spare battery, because the batteries are warranted for eight to ten years, but we would have to keep the buses for twelve. That battery is $150,000 or more currently. So as you can see, these are the financial woes that schools will face, and we can't always say we can't face them, but how much can the local tax bases bear with a program that's being touted by our governor and the Public Service Committee, but yet not funded? And for most of the school districts, we will not see the funding 
until well after the communities have been forced to pay for this highly irregular and unfortunately we were promised no more unfunded mandates. That has not come to fruition in the last 10 to 12 years. So ladies and gentlemen, please join us. Reach out, tell everybody, pump the brakes, do what you want to school districts, but do it after you've done it to the state first and foremost. Thank you very much. All right, uh, thank you all very much. A little dose of reality there. Uh, next up, uh, I've got uh, Senator uh, Jim Tedisco. Well, you're going to hear a lot of information today about uh, how bad and how negative this uh, unfunded mandate is, but probably the most important people you're going to hear from are, are the director of pupil personnel who had to get these kids to school in a timely fashion and safely. Uh, we've talked about the budget and its impact. I've said it's a terrible budget holistically, but it's a disaster for our school districts. Now, we're not talking about uh, cutting the funds, which we know is a terrible thing, on the back of taxpayers and our kids. In this case, we're talking about uh, an unbelievable lack of reality mandate uh, to fulfill the obligations of all these uh, electric vehicle buses. Now, a lot of the superintendents have come to visit me, principals, the administration, uh, others who are concerned about this. And they really laid it out for us in our offices right now. What they tell us now, and you just heard it from one of our superintendents, is that uh, parents are, are in the house with their kids out near the road right now saying, uh, we just got to call, come back in. You're not going to be able to go to school today. We can't fulfill the buses uh, to come on your route today because you got three or four people who have the flu, and it takes two to three months, as we know, to really train these bus drivers right now so they can get in a bus with the combustible engine school buses we have. Now you're going to add this particular mandate. And then the superintendents say to us, uh, Senator, a regular com combustible bus is about $150,000, but an EV is uh, $400,000 to $450,000. How are we ever going to fulfill this mandate? What are we going to do with our budget to protect that budget itself and our important programs? Because as has been said, the funding isn't in there right now. And we know how the state of New York giveth and then taketh away. Well, in this case, they're not even giveth right now. They've given the minimum, so they have to make course corrections right now in case funding is a, isn't a realistic thing. Plus, we're forgetting about the mandates of training the individuals. They're sending them all, all across the nation to get special training to deal with the maintenance, to, to drive these particular vehicles. But the one thing, the one thing that was really disconcerting to me, maybe above and beyond all these, the principals have been coming to us and said, look, we contacted the energy people. And they say, when this mandate is supposed to be fulfilled, and these buses across the state of New York put that charger in, guess what? We don't think we're going to be able to get the energy to them because there's a whole bunch of other organizations and businesses which are going uh, to this alternative uh, and renewable fuels, which is fine. Nobody here is against moving to cleaner, uh, better environmental, uh, maybe more cost-effective in the future. This reminds me of the immigration concept, dripping with hypocrisy. Come one, come all, uh-oh, not so much when you come to my city with that mayor. Now, 
create a perfect world, but don't worry about the funding. We're going to give you these environmentally great buses, but where's the money forthcoming? And uh, let me repeat myself one more time. We're not against alternative fuels in the future. This is a political reality they've put in place, again, maybe to get through the next couple of elections and say, we're for, for climate correction here, we're for, for climate change. Well, how about being on the backs of the economy, because that's not going to move forward with this. Job training is not going to move forward with this in this time limit, this non-reality time limit they've given us. The ability to maintain, to control, to take care of, to get this fuel and, and, and this energy to the places it, it has to get to, it's not a realistic thing. And that has been said. So we're dealing in reality here. And the reality is, as the senator said, and I appreciate him and all my colleagues being here to point out and stand up for our constituents, because, as I always say, we're not just elected officials, senators, assemblymen. We're representatives. And he's right. They're contacting us in Groves, and they're concerned about their educational system and its funding. And they're very concerned about this part of the puzzle, which will even make it more egregious. So these are important pieces of legislation we're talking about today. Do it in a realistic way. We're for alternative and renewable fuels, but with a realistic time process to get it done. Thank you so much. I talked about our Director of Pupil Transportation. We have Al Karam from Shenandoah High School who will fill in the important aspects of why this mandate is going to fail the people of New York State. Thank you. Good afternoon, all. If you want to hear me talk about electric buses, I could probably spend two or three hours and not be done. So I'm just going to ask for about six minutes of your time. My name is Alfred Karam, Director of Transportation for Shenandoah Central School District. Shen's bus fleet consists of 217 school buses serving just under 10,000 students. Where it depends on what day you look at this number, we are the third or fourth largest publicly owned bus fleet in New York State. We have over 660 individual bus routes, and the longest one, check this out, goes to Rochester, New York, twice a week. I don't know of any vehicle that can make that trip, uh, round trip, uh, uh, on a Monday and a Friday. Uh, we have, let me say, when it's all said and done, and listen to these numbers now, under the state school bus electrification mandate, now this is for Shen only. We are looking at spending approximately $50 million on infrastructure. That infrastructure, we're talking about a substation that will have to be built, electrical substation, on the campus itself for about $35 million, and the rest will be for uh, compound upgrades, uh, digging ditches, laying uh, conduits, so forth and so on. So $50 million on the infrastructure and $115 million, this is conservative estimate, on school buses between now and 2035. According to the, uh, the state school bus fleet electrification mandate, by 2027, we can only buy electric buses. Now, we may be eligible for uh, a deferment of up to two years for, uh, if the infrastructure is not ready. You know, time will tell. We'll see. So I want to share with you just a few facts that are really uh, Im impactful for Shen as we try to reach a fully electric fleet by 2035, if that is the case. So the infrastructure cost. We will need to spend that $50 million on the infrastructure uh, upgrade. This is going to require uh, voter approval. This cost will cover the increase in electrical power coming into our campus. So currently, we have about 2 megawatts of power 
Just for the buses alone, we're going to need anywhere between six to nine megawatts. And then you add what the school buildings on the campus need, and that's more and more power. That really is not out there. So uh, the, there's other major construction. We have to uh, install conduits, heavy electrical power wiring uh, required for the, uh, the chargers, Wi-Fi uh, connectivity to support the chargers because you have to go with smart chargers. You can't go with dumb chargers when you're talking about a school bus fleet that needs to be ready to go get the kids the next day. Uh, and of course, uh, the repaving after we, we tear up the lot. Uh, this is assuming that our current uh, footprint, parking footprint can handle the additional equipment necessary for charging the school buses and to allow our staff to safely maneuver the school buses. If not, we're going to need to spend more money on increasing that, uh, uh, that footprint for parking. The electrical power, again, the availability uh, of the electrical power required to operate an entire fleet of electric buses is currently non-existent. We ordered four school buses, electric school buses, at about $497,000 each. Uh, that's going to wipe out the remaining uh, electrical power that we have in reserve. So the issue right now is very prob problematic for us because we don't have the required electrical capacity to continue purchasing electric school buses beyond the four that have already been ordered. Uh, these four uh, buses will max out any available electrical power. To meet the electric bus charging needs, we must go from a current uh, two megawatts to, like I said, between six and nine just for the buses. And to bring uh, more power is going to require us to build that substation. The bus bonds, uh, no one talks about that, but currently our bus are bonded for five years and we get state aid on the first five years uh, of, of the life of that bus. Uh, not unless it's changed, the last I checked, under the mandate, the aid is going to be uh, dis dispersed over a 12-year period. Uh, we typically, on the larger buses, we, we replace them at a 10-year mark because of where we are here in the Northeast. Uh, there's a lot of uh, reasons why we do that. But so think about it. We may end up getting rid of a bus at 10 years, but we're still paying on it for two more years. I don't know how that's going to work. Uh, plus, the interest payments for the taxpayers are going to increase uh, uh, over the uh, life of that bond. And the bus replacement cost. So if we start in 2027 buying electric buses, the average number of buses we have to replace is going to be around 30. Uh, Currently, we average about 20 buses uh, per year for replacement. The cost for just the electric buses for Shen is going to average about 15 million yearly going forward until we hit the mandate. If we start buying more electric buses uh, at that time, this is, this is uh, it's, uh, it versus the 2.5 to 3.5 million we currently uh, uh, spend on uh, buying internal combustion engine powered school buses. Now, if we cannot acquire that electrical power I talked about earlier by 2027, and we ask for the deferment, assuming that deferment is for two years, and then kickstart the electric bus purchase in 2030, the cost calculation for the fleet replacement shows us spending approximately $23 million per year until we reach 2035. Again, irrespective of state mandates, all this depends on the voters' goodwill approving these incredibly high bond costs. And if we don't have the required electrical power by 2027, we will be forced to continue purchasing the internal combustion engine powered buses for two more years. We will then hit a brick wall, not be able to buy anything, which has a lot of ramifications for operations that I won't get into. Uh, and we won't be able to purchase any electric buses because there's no power and the infrastructure uh, cons uh, construction plans will have to 
be approved, you know, again, by the board, by the voters. Uh, you got to submit plans to SED. That takes forever. Uh, and uh, it, it just throws your entire bus replacement plan out of whack. So the best guess is that we will have the infrastructure ready by 2030. And in order to meet the state mandate, by 2035, we will have to purchase, on average, 41 electric buses per year for five years. And when we're talking 41 electric buses, now you're really kicking up up into 30, 40 million dollars worth of uh, uh, buses. And no one talks about this. The vehicle chargers, dependent on the make that we will initially buy, will have a life cycle of approximately eight years. When you read about chargers, they tell you they're either they either have a life cycle of five years uh, up to 12. So I'll take the middle road and say eight years. These chargers are very expensive. People talk about saving money on maintenance for electric, on electric vehicles. Well, guess what? That money you just saved, multiply it probably 20, 30 times, is going to be spent on replacement of chargers year in, year out as these things uh, begin to age. And in summary, in a recent blog titled Cost of Transition to Zero Emission Buses, written by Ken Girardin and published on the Empire Center for Public Policy website, Mr. Girardin speak to the cost of electrifying the school bus fleet in the state of New York. So here's a quick summary of that, of that blog. He basically says that to uh, convert the fleet to all electric, you're looking at $8.9 billion. Now, based on the cost of vehicles that I know, uh, this is a very low number. I'm pretty sure it's going to be a whole lot higher than that. So, and also add hundreds of millions, if not billions, more for infrastructure upgrade from power generation that will be required to be brought into the school bus compounds to construction upgrades. That's a lot of money that's going to be competing for education dollars. Uh, again, for Shen, the fleet conversion is approximately $115 million and $50 million for the construction and installation of the charger infrastructure. Thank you for your time. Sorry I took so much. No, uh, good Make sure I didn't miss anybody here. Oh, okay. And next up, uh, we have a Assemblywoman Mary, Mary, Mary Beth Walsh. Yep. Right behind her. Okay. Yep. Thank you. Thank you, Senator Borello. Good, uh, good afternoon, everybody. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm a member of the um, Education Committee. This is something that came up a lot during our budget hearings last week uh, as far as the EV bus mandate. Um, so I, I think that, um, you know, Mr. Karam just kind of apologized. He's like, I'm sorry I threw so many numbers at you. But we're here to educate everybody. We're glad that the media is here to cover this. We have to get the information out there because, unfortunately, when the governor decided to impose this mandate, the groundwork does not appear to have been done. Before passing such a sweeping policy and mandate, as she did, she should have gathered together stakeholders like the people that, you're going to be, that you have heard from and that you're going to be hearing from in a moment people who have the facts and figures, who can actually talk about the realities of putting these types of, uh, of, of programs into place and what's workable and what's unworkable in our rural areas, in our cold climate, uh, given the current tax bases that we have in our various school districts around the state. So all of that groundwork should have been done. It wasn't done. And so what we're left with now is really a plea to educate um, the people who are going to be bearing the brunt of this kind of mandate and asking for it to be rolled back, to buy a little bit of time to be able to do a, an appropriate study. For God's sake, how many studies do we pass every year in the New York State Assembly and Senate 
and that are that are of questionable value. This is a study that we have to do. We have to get a, a quantified, broad idea of whether this is a feasible plan, or else we shouldn't be doing it. So, as you already heard from a school superintendent and a director of pupil transportation, I would like, and I have the honor of introducing um, a 30-year employee of one of my local school districts in the transportation department, somebody who actually knows something about school buses and what it's like to take care of them and maintain them. I'd like to introduce for you Bob Colleen. Bob. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Robert Killeen, 30-year veteran of school bus repair for a local school district. One of the concerns that has not been addressed with this huge proposal is we've got an aging workforce here. <clears throat> and a lot of the guys are in their 50s and 60s. And in a direct conversation with one of my fellow mechanics, he said, I'm 55 years old. I am not going to turn around on a dime and start working on electric school buses. I'm also not going to work on something that if I make one little tiny mistake, working with 600 volts, I'm vaporized in seconds. This is not threading a nut and bolt together that, oh, it doesn't fit. He said for $30 an hour, it's not worth it. So we have a workforce that's already in decline, just like so many workforces in New York State. You're running out of people to do the job. Young people are not coming in because it's dangerous or it doesn't pay enough. So who are you going to have doing the work? Students still need transportation. So we have the workforce problem, and for probably the better part of 20 years where I worked, we were always short on employees. Usually out of six that we should have, we would have four, sometimes three, and in one occasion we had two. Maintaining a bus fleet of 70 vehicles plus another 50 vehicles otherwise around the district. One other issue I'd like to bring up is the volatility of these batteries. They're extremely explosive. We have school buses that will haul four wheelchair students. When you put a wheelchair student on a bus, the wheelchair is strapped down to the floor. <clears throat> the wheelchair student, <clears throat> excuse me, is strapped to the wheelchair. It's a track that holds it in place. When these buses blow up, you have seconds, and I mean seconds. They are enveloped in flames that come out from the underneath, the front and back, everywhere, exceedingly hot. You have almost no time to get a student off of that bus. You have to unhook the wheelchairs, move them to a lift, which I will remind you is electrically operated on an electric bus that is on fire, lower the lift down, unhook the chair, and then move the wheelchair student to safety, which may be as far as you can get them, but a minimum of 50 to 100 feet. What do you think is going to happen when you have four wheelchair students on this bus? Quite bluntly put, I'm going to tell you, no holds barred here, it's a 20,000 pound electric chair on wheels. They're very dangerous. I know firsthand, I've got 30 years in experience with conventional buses. At this time, conventional buses, gas and diesel, are your safest, most reliable, undoubtedly best way to transport. As usual with New York State, they take everything and go the wrong way with it. And this is a very, very, very bad proposal which is going to hamstring the taxpayers and school districts at a really desperate time anyway. Triple-digit inflation is still with us. What do you think these buses are going to cost now? Thank you very much for your time. If anybody wants to talk to me afterwards, I'll make myself available. Thank you very much.
Next up, we have one of my partners in the Senate, Senator Tom O'Mara. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all for coming out here this afternoon. Uh, you know, we're a leader in New York State uh, in clean energy. We're a leader in New York State in lower emissions. New York State has the lowest emissions per capita of, of any of energy of any state in the country. We have the lowest emissions per capita in our transportation sector than any other state in the country. And we're proud of that, and we've helped foster that over the years to get there. And we're on the right track. But to come up with these unrealistic time frames without appropriate funding and without the industry even really being there yet to be able to supply these, talk to anyone in the electric bus industry and in the utility industry on the provision of transformers and whatnot to get the power to these garages. But we're at a point in the industry where the vehicles and the infrastructure are at its most expensive point. It will get cheaper over time as we perfect these and get better. But why are we doing this on the backs of our school districts, on the backs of school property taxpayers? We have an immense affordability crisis in New York State school property taxes being one of the largest in that burden. This is going to severely exacerbate that and cause these issues. You know, I've heard just on the realistic side of this, and, you know, this is all utopian thought, and wouldn't it be great if we can do this? The whole Green New Deal in New York State is based on that. It's not based on reality. It's not based on feasibility. It's not based on reliability. And it's certainly not based on affordability. You know, we have rural school districts that I represent saying from their electric utility providers, it's going to be at least 10 years before they can even get that kind of power to their bus garage. So they can't meet this mandate. So it's just it's these things that it's not thought out. It needs to be better thought out. And, and why aren't we phasing these things? And why aren't we — why isn't the New York State leading the way with its fleet? As Assemblyman Palmasano said, they're five years behind us on this conversion. Why aren't we phasing these in in areas — in more urban areas? where there's more congestion, where emissions are more congested, and get through the period of the expensive, most expensive period of this industry, get that behind us, get some feasibility going on how this actually works in practice, and then spread it out around the state as we go forward. That would make sense, and that's probably not why that's not the path we're taking <laughs> in New York State. Uh, with that, I will turn it over to my colleague, Senator Dan Steck. Thanks, Senator. Uh, I certainly want to echo what a lot of my colleagues have said here today. Um, we have all familiar with some of the basic numbers here. Um, one of the beautiful things about our representative democracy is that, in theory, our legislature is a cross-section of, of our population. Uh, I believe I'm the only legislator that has an engineering degree, and I know I'm the only legislator that has ever operated a nuclear reactor. So I know a little bit about power generation and distribution. I got my degree from that wonderful institution in the North Country, in the town of Potsdam, which I'm proud is in my Senate district, Clarkson University. A few people have mentioned the delta of, of the uh, cost of these buses. Just the bus costs alone, double or triple, 50,000 buses, that's $20 billion. All right, one of my schools, Hadley Luzerne, 
23 school buses, so you're talking their delta for just replacing those 23 school buses is about $4.5 million. Well, they also told me this morning that the cost estimate to just run power is $3 million. So if you're looking at, and I got 48 school districts in my Senate district, so there are a lot of school districts, there are many school districts that need to have fewer than 23 buses, but they're going to be spending millions of dollars each just to bring infrastructure that, as has been pointed out, is not going to be there in the next two or three years. We're talking about basic economics, economics 101, the most basic of economics concepts, supply and demand. If government mandates a demand that you're going to replace 50,000 school buses in the next three years, what do you think that by itself does to price? Has anyone asked the bus manufacturers, is it, is it physically possible to build buses this fast? Now, I think I suspected that I was asked to talk here today, not because I'm an engineering genius. I, I am. Of course you are. But it's because I represent the North Country. I represent all of Clinton, all of Franklin, half of St. Lawrence County, all of Essex County, all of Warren County, and part of Washington County. Saranac Lake, in the heart of the Adirondacks, is routinely one of the coldest places in the lower 48 states. I looked up to just a quick Google search today. What is the average temperature? Potsdam, Messina. Saranac Lake, Plattsburgh, average high temperature in January, 25 degrees. That's the average high. Now, we all know that we hit that high around the times that the school buses are going home, not when they're going out. In Messina, school superintendents told me uh, um, just earlier this weekend, I was at a, a forum with a, a bunch of my school superintendents in uh, Lake Placid, 70-mile round-trip bus, bus routes, and that's Messina. Saranac Lake, the largest, geographically, the largest school district in the state, Saranac Lake, 16 school buses average 100 miles per day on their route. My downstate colleagues, the solution to education costs and, is efficiency and consolidation in the North Country. So the average, uh, at 70 degrees, the average bus range is 150 miles. It drops to about 85 to 90 miles when it's 20 degrees. Now, in most of my district, it is routinely in the single digits this time of year. What's going to happen to those buses with those kids? We've asked these questions. We've asked these questions this year in the budget hearings. We asked them last year. And, and what we get is a lot of hand-waving from a lot of non-engineers, a lot of people that are just throwing up smoke to cover for whatever their boss is mandating because it's good politics. These conferences, the Senate and Assembly Republican conferences, are rooted in common sense, math, affordability. We're asking these questions. I asked the question last year, and I asked it again very pointedly again this year of the Public Service Commission at the public hearing, at the budget hearing, what is the cost estimate to implement the CLCPA? They don't have one. Now, the Empire Center does their homework. They're, they have a solid reputation. They've estimated that that's $300 billion. Well, we know that buses by themselves, just the buses, $20 billion, I'm going to say it's at least another $20 billion for running power, probably a lot more. And that's just talking about school buses. What about the, uh, all, all the other mandates to get rid of residential, uh, non-electrical? We're easily talking about $300 billion. And as I think uh, Assemblywoman Mary Beth Walsh pointed out, we do so many studies on so many other inane things in Albany. How, can, uh, how is a $300 billion price tag not worthy of study? How is the safety of children all over the state, not just in the North Country, but all over the state, when that school bus battery doesn't work in January, or when they can't get to Albany to play in the NISMA concert that we're all going to be enjoying next month when they come here, because their school bus range is only 100 miles on a good day, and they've got to drive 200 miles to get here, 
who's asking these basic questions? My colleagues and I are at the, at the bu budget hearings, but apparently no one in the administration and definitely no one on the other side of the aisle either understands that there's questions, cares that there's questions, or, or, cares, or cares what the outcomes of these decisions are. These are ridiculous. From an engineer that's done a little bit of basic math and economics for you today, these are absolutely unachievable, unsustainable, and reckless mandates to put on. And if nothing else, you phase this in. You start it where it might make sense, urban areas in New York City where it's not 10 degrees routinely, where they want this, and where their bus routes are only two or three miles. That's the place to start. And then when that works, as Senator O'Meara pointed out, then maybe technology is catching up, maybe industry is catching up, and our production capacity is catching up, and there, then you're not breaking the bank. You have to factor in all this other stuff, and I charge all of you in the media here that are here today, listen to what I said, go back and replay it, and then start asking my majority colleagues in the governor's office what the plan is and how, after all this, and running CLCPA and all these mandates through, don't you have any solid numbers for the public and the taxpayer and the kids and the parents that have to worry about their kids on these buses. I guess that's me to turn it back over to Senator Borrello to close. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Is that everybody on the list here? All right. Great. Did uh, Senator Oberacher show up? He, uh, no? All right. Great. So, all right. Um, just, we will follow up. You know, I want to I uh, point out one thing. I realize that there are many people out there that feel that climate change is an existential threat to humanity. So whatever it takes, and whenever we tar start talking about the cost of doing something, the response, the arrogant response that we get from our colleagues is, well, the cost of not doing it is so much greater. I beg to differ. New York State accounts for 0.4% of all the greenhouse gas emissions in the world. 0.4%. So if we wreck our economy, our economy, if we cost lives, lives of our children because of this, of this experimental technology, if we cost a trillion dollars uh, to do this conversion to all electric, if we chase more people out of New York State, what will we get? Nothing. What impact will have on climate change? Nothing. But it looks great. It's a great soundbite for my colleagues who believe that climate change is an existential threat to humanity. That's all they care about. We have to live in the reality here. I am not willing to sacrifice our children for their political agenda. I'm not willing to chase more people out of New York State for their political agenda. I'm sure as hell not going to let them do this to our economy simply because they want to pretend, pretend that they're doing something about climate change. They're doing nothing for climate change. And that's the real, that's the real answer here. So with that, uh, we'll turn it back over to Leader. If you want to, uh, oh, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, Phil, go ahead. Just one more thing real quick I forgot to mention. Uh, especially for you in the media, if you go back and question the governor, question our colleagues on the other side of the aisle. They're going to talk about, well, there's $500 million for school bus purchases. The federal government, President Biden, saying there's money for this. Last week at the Budget Hearing Committee, um, Doreen Harris, president of NYSERDA and co-author co of the C Climate Action Council Plan, said, even with all the federal and state money that's being allocated and that's available, it's enough to cover the purchase of 3,000 school buses. 3,000, and there's nearly 50,000 in the state fleet. And if you want to talk about hypocrisy, ask them. Why is it that you're asking this, our school districts to go and complete a full conversion of their entire fleet five years before the state of New York? Ask them why we have to start making purchases in 2027, but there's no benchmark for purchases for the state. Not for their light-duty fleet, which they repealed, they had it, and then they repealed it. Not for the heavy-duty fleet. Interesting in the language, if you read it and you talk to the majority or the governor, it says they have to convert their heavy-duty fleet by 2040 if it's feasible to do so. 
Our school districts don't have such a language or such protection. They have to move forward full speed ahead with this mother of unfunded mandates with no feasibility, no cost-benefit analysis, no safety analysis. It's wrong and it should be stopped. We shouldn't just pump the brakes on this um, unfunded mandate. We should slam the brakes on it. So I hope the media, thank you for being here, and I hope you question the governor or colleagues on the other side of the aisle on this, this mandate. Thank you very much. And we're happy to take any questions. Yeah. Okay, any questions? Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 